Northwest Arkansas, welcome to another episode of Hey Hey NWA. I'm your host, Peyton Finley. And I'm your other host, Zach Pinky. And this week on Hey Hey NWA, Zach and I get to sit down with James Lockhart of Brother Moses. Peyton, tell us how much you love Brother Moses. Oh man, let me count the ways. So I I enjoy Brother Moses a lot. Um, it's funny because originally when I moved to Northwest Arkansas, like right as I moved here, I heard about Brother Moses, but I did not, I guess, act on my knowledge of Brother Moses. Yeah, and Brother Moses is a band, by the way. I don't think we've said that, but Brother Moses is a band. <laughs> you want to start over? Because I want to start. Over. No, that's great. I love it just like that. That's so good. When you first moved to Northwest Arkansas, you had this great affinity for Brother Moses. When I first moved to Northwest Arkansas, I actually. Didn't know about Brother Moses before, but right as I moved here, within my first week or two, I have a friend named Abby who went to U of A, Mm -hmm. and she was like, hey, I'm in town for like a couple days. You should come to Trivia Night over in Fayetteville. And so we went to Trivia Night, and it was us and another team. And so it was just mainly a social occasion. But it was like me and Abby... And her friends, like Lacey and Matthew. And Lacey and Matthew were dating. And yes, Matthew is the Matthew from Brother Moses. Okay. And this was mid-2016. Sure. And so I think we kind of break it down in the timeline in the actual interview we have coming up. But the that's around when they only had their EP out, uh-huh. Legends. And so we were just talking and Matthew's like, oh yeah, I'm in a band and... It's called Brother Moses. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And so like, I went and listened to them. And I'm like, they're pretty good. But like I like a lot of music, for example, Sufjan Stevens, sure. I respect their work and I enjoy their work, but I just didn't get into them at right. the time. And so, you know, a couple months go by. And then I see like Brother Moses playing concerts and went to go see Brother Moses. And they're incredible live. Like that's really what kind of pushes you over the edge and that's what actually a a couple people that i know and that enjoy them are like i didn't really get into them until i went and saw them live so i went and saw them live became a fan and yeah and then also funny thing uh cory who's the drummer of brother moses for the longest time he was the barista at cave springs coffee company okay and so other friend abigail would always go to trivia there and like hang out at the coffee bar and like talk to Corey. Yeah. And so all the band members are just floating around everywhere. And then it's also alluded to in this interview, I ran into James at a concert in Kansas city and yeah, it's, you're just bound to run into a brother Moses band member wherever you go. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. I guess so. Um, if you know them, if you know them, cause I mean, that was the thing about running in, to James in Kansas City was the fact that you knew him by his band when you saw him. Yeah. And it caught him unawares. But anyway. 
yeah, we've got a great interview lined up. It's probably been, it's been one of my favorite interviews that we've done mm-hmm. on this podcast. We uh, get to talk about the songwriting process and how you deal with living with four other people in a van for months at a time and uh, quirks of relationships that have this interesting work dynamic to it. Anyway, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And we talk about how music is kind of like a magical embodiment space and it's a lot of fun. Anyway, James, if I know you're probably listening to this right now, we had a fun time. We really enjoyed having you on. Um, and to all of brother Moses, if you're listening right now, we thank you very much for your music and we hope you have a wonderful time in New York city as you're all headed that way. So anyway, with that being said, let's hop into the interview. And we'll catch you guys on the other side. Hey, Northwest Arkansas. Welcome to another episode of Hey, Hey, NWA. I'm Peyton Finley. I'm Zach Fanky. And this week, we have James Lockhart of Brother Moses. Welcome. Thank you so much. Um, If you are not aware, listeners, uh, Brother Moses is a local band that is getting pretty big. um, And we're catching them before they move to New York which is so sad to see you go, I got to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's all not, your fault. <laughs> it's not personal. Oh, man. We're not running away from you. Peyton, <laughs> I think Peyton take it, takes it personally because he loves you guys That's so okay. much. <laughs> he, uh, Maybe I'll distance myself a little bit and just say I love your music. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that makes it impersonal, right? Yeah, that yeah. makes that And then makes it, I have to let you go. It's like one of those emotional things. It's a hard breakup Peyton's having to undergo right now. <laughs> all right, James, what's your role in the band? I... Um, I guess I'm like the front person and I sing most of the songs and play guitar most of the time. Cool. That's my role. How long have you guys been around? How how long have you guys been a band? Uh, In some form or other since um, like 2013, 2014. We put out our first uh, EP in 2015. So that usually is kind of the benchmark that I set in my head. So I don't, so I like feel better about it. Mm -hmm. Like our band's not five years old. It's only three years old, but (laughs) it makes you feel really old, like an old person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was past three to five years, I guess. I'm always interested to hear how people get to know each other and start weird projects like bands and Mm -hmm. podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, cause it always seems like, Oh, we, there's this guy we knew or we all two of us went to college together or it's this weird amalgam of not necessarily we found the most skillful people, but we found the people who are available <laughs> and the people that we knew. Yeah. What's y'all story as far as like coming together as a band? Moses and I have are like old friends. There's five of us in the band. Um, I've known Moses since we were like 12. Um, we're both from the same town and we were in, um, school band together and we were also in uh quiz bowl together oh yeah in eighth grade yeah dude and yeah so we like we became friends when we were like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. and what started, instruments did you guys play at the time uh band? yeah moses played euphonium which is like a small tuba kind of okay and i played tuba which is the normal <laughs> size tuba and we uh uh, yeah, those were our instruments and band, but he brought, uh, in ninth grade, he brought his ukulele to school and I'd been like playing guitar in the jazz band and trying to be the guitar guy for like three years mm-hmm. and hadn't made any friends doing that. 
and all of a sudden uh moses brings his ukulele to school and i was like you you do that i do that let's do that together Uh (laughs) yeah so that's um how we started playing music together and then um the other guys um the other three guys uh matthew and john lewis are a little bit older than us when moses and i came here for college we um started hanging out with John Lewis, who was in a band. John Lewis and Matthew were both in a band called Little Chief. And we just kind of looked up to their band a lot and wanted to be friends with them. Mm -hmm. And they were nice enough to just let us hang around all the time. And then eventually, uh, it was kind of a combination. Like They were just our really good friends, but they were also the best musicians that we knew. Mm -hmm. So when Moses and I were recording our first EP, we just had our friends come play on it. John Lewis and Matthew came and recorded like guitar and bass. And then like, I guess they liked the songs because <laughs> they wanted to do the live shows too. And then, Sweet. Um, and then Corey, our drummer, uh, kind of like uh, joined the band a lot later because we had a drummer to begin with who uh, left the band after like, a year or two. Mm-hmm. So, um, Corey was absolutely the most skilled drummer that we all knew. Okay. And so that was directly like a result of like, we need a drummer. Uh, let's ask the best one uh-huh. in the world. And we were really fortunate. You've heard it here first. Do it. Yeah. Best drummer in the world. Corey is the best drummer in the world. <laughs> I will stand by that. He is pretty incredible. Yeah. I gotta give it. And he drives like so much of the, like music forward. Wow. Anyway. Oh yeah. I think he's great. <laughs> I 100% agree. <laughs> but, um, so you guys came together in college. Mm-hmm. What was that moment that I guess you all, or just you were like, Hey, I can make something out of this. Uh, it's not just a hobby of mine. It can actually be something that I want to pursue all the time. Um, it was kind of when Matthew, started coming around and helping us record our music and he was in this band that was doing it kind of like they were touring they were playing george's and selling it out and so we like valued his opinion a lot Mm -hmm. and he was so excited about working on the songs and so into it and moses and i were like i think we're good like yeah he's really into it i think we might be like doing something right Uh um and i think like the work that we all put in together making that first ep happen and uh we booked a whole bunch of tour dates in places we'd never been before (laughs) and we went out and just did it and started playing the songs live uh to nobody but like had so much fun doing it that it just i don't know in doing anything else just took a back seat after doing that for a little while it was like this is something truly special what we're doing with each other uh-huh. yeah. was the uh was the playing this this towns that you've never been to before like an effect of i want to go see this place that i've never been or was it like totally. this is the place that will ask us to <laughs> come and no, play their bar or whatever no one asked no one was okay. asking uh-huh. us we were knocking down people's doors asking if we could come mm-hmm. and i was so into it i was like 
I want to go to Omaha, Nebraska. I want to go to Iowa City. I want to go to New York. Like, um, 100%. It was just like, we want to play shows. I want to spend the whole summer in a van with my friends. Um, let's send 8,000 emails in a month and then just go do it. That was, that was the only motivation really. Uh Yeah. Replace is pretty responsive. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's like to book a show and say, hi, you should book me as a band. I don't know. I mean, it's a spectrum like (laughs) there. Um, yeah, that those first tours that we booked, we were sending them a, like, I don't know if any, if either of you guys have heard our first EP, but it's like, I'm proud of it, but it doesn't sound super great. Like we kind of worked with limited gear and stuff and we had virtually no fan base. Uh-huh. So we were sending bookers at venues, uh, that ranged from people's basements to like 500 cap rooms. We had no business emailing. Uh-huh. <laughs> So all of these people are just hearing like these lo-fi recordings from a band that they've never heard of. And we had like a template, like we were just plugging in, Uh (laughs) insert name of venue here, insert day we want to play. And we would just straight up lie to people. Like we've been reaching out to locals in the Atlanta area and they uh, are really responsive. We think we could bring out 150 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, sometimes places would be really straightforward back with us and be like, you have no fans here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Please do. You, you need to move on. Um, the best story that came out of it was it was Atlanta. And... Um, the main reason I wanted to play a show there is I have a cousin there that I never get to see. And I was like, it'd be cool to hang out with him. Yeah. And we couldn't book a show and it was really frustrating. And the was, one was your cousin, the local Atlanta that you were telling everybody you knew. No, <laughs> that had 150 yeah. friends. Yeah. He's got 150 friends. <laughs> no, no he's like a, he's a lot. He's like a dad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, uh, yeah, we were, the venue was like, kind of responsive but then they just told us out of nowhere like sorry we're not going to book it and then we'd been emailing until like three in the morning that night and we were really tired and we emailed back like in all caps just in a fit of rage like just give us a show (laughs) (laughs) and it was just me and matthew sitting like in a computer lab on campus we were looking at each other like wide-eyed like what did we just do what's Uh gonna happen and then the guy gave us a show. He booked us. He was like, he was like, hey man, I know booking's frustrating. You don't have to take it out on the people who are booking, but also I respect that. Here's a show. <laughs> <laughs> You're and, playing at 11 a.m. on a Thursday morning. He uh, was a good show. Like, was it? We got a great local band on the bill with us. My cousin came. It was fun. Him and his 150 friends. All of his friends were there. There were like people there. That was one of the better shows that summer. So, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to that guy in Atlanta. If he, um, is still around there booking shows, he's, he's doing the Lord's work. <laughs> were any of your shows just really odd? I mean, I don't know if you just took, I don't know if you, you know, you, you went for these main venues, you know, that you had, Quote, no business being in. Not absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> but were there any just obscure venues along oh, the yeah. way? Um that mostly that. Like uh 
played a really weird basement in Joplin, Missouri with like, uh, there were a lot of cats. <laughs> there are more cats than people. I think. Oh no. <laughs> There's, uh, an art. We booked in a show at a quote art gallery in Louisville. And then we showed up and it was like a warehouse with a lot of bikers and, yeah. and yeah. And the band that played the show with us were just practicing <laughs> like we played our set uh-huh. and then they got on stage and practiced for like two hours and the bikers what? yeah okay and the bikers got really mad during our set and they were like heckling us and and i think at this point it was like kind of late in the summer and mm-hmm. we were just like we're like you have no idea what we've been through uh-huh. <laughs> and so i was just giving it right back to him like um it's kind of yeah that was a scary one (laughs) it was fun though um but there were also some really cool shows on that first tour like we played um this place in dallas called the profit bar for the first time and it was like yeah and there were like a decent amount of people and dallas has always been fun for us but that that for those first tours were such a weird mix of like wow i can't believe this is happening and then, wow, I can't believe this is happening, but for much different reasons. Uh-huh. Yeah. Were you guys having to sell your own tickets? Because I know bands starting out, a lot of them have to sell their own tickets, like showing up to venues and yeah. stuff. Yeah. We've never paid to play. Like, we refused to do that from the beginning. Understandable. Yeah. We, we'd heard horror stories about that. And, like, um, I just think it's, like, an, not to seem like we're on some moral uh, high horse or something, but... uh we just all detest that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's almost like I'm showing up and providing a service or a product that people are going to enjoy or not enjoy, but I'm paying money to travel. I'm paying money to stay there. I'm paying money to eat, um, taking time out of what I could be like working. And here I am showing up and I'm selling your tickets for the venue. Right. It's right. like a weird situation. And it's basically like the, for a lot of people, it seems like it's a, uh, oh, we're just trying to get our name out there or whatever. Like it's a marketing scheme somehow that doesn't seem to work in a lot of scenarios. It just seems like a really strange way to do yeah. business. It's terrible. Like um, you find that a lot in places like LA or um, sometimes New York, like bigger cities that have a lot of stages and they struggle with you know getting people to fill those slots and mm-hmm. and keeping their overhead like they'll um they'll do things like that and i remember one time very early on was just like we had a situation like that where we our only option in that city to play a show there was to do something like that and Matthew and Moses and I just kind of made an agreement like that we were never going to do that mm-hmm. because it's so uh it's so ridiculous to ask somebody to do that um it's kind of like doing work on spec you know yeah. like you just shouldn't do that for people you uh-huh. should value yourself and what you do so yeah, yeah. so and then you're traveling summers uh in a van are you you're sleeping in this van i presume in 
We, yeah, most of the tours that we have been on were in uh, Suburban that belonged to John Lewis's mom. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And we would like hitch a U-Haul trailer to the back um, and we rarely would sleep in it, but there were a lot of times on a few tours where we would like uh, find a Walmart parking lot and set up hammocks like the Eno. Uh-huh. You know, like the U of A campus, people wearing Birkenstock hammocks. (laughs) And uh, we would set those up, and uh, that was way more comfortable than trying to sleep in the car. Yeah. Once Moses and I slept inside the U-Haul, like the trailer, like we cracked the door and put, (laughs) it got so hot. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine. And then, I mean, so you're traveling with these guys that you're buddies with, that you work with, you play music with. And then you spend whole stretches of time together uh, away from home. I don't know if you were doing like the weekend warrior thing or like traveling weekends at a time or if you were traveling weeks at a time. What was yeah, it? we've done both. Okay. Um, most of like we were in some of us at least were in school up until like mm-hmm. last year. So um, did a lot of weekend one offs and also in the summers uh, we would tour for weeks at a time. I think every spring break in college I toured and every fall break in college I toured. Um, And they just got progressively better and more comfortable and Uh more fun. And even now it's not at a level of like, you know, we're still uncomfortable a lot of the time, but it's such a dream compared to what it was when it started. Right. It it seems to me like it would, for me, in particular, I don't know if this is probably not the case for everybody. I'm super fine with sleeping in a hammock and or sleeping in a car or whatever. Um, but I could imagine like being around the same four <laughs> people all the time. How long does it take before you hate someone's guts because they pick their nose while they're driving or something? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, everyone who's ever been in a van that's like in a band in a van that's driven... I've uh, done the thing where everybody takes turns driving. Uh-huh. No one is a great driver. Like no one in the world is a great driver. Uh-huh. Everyone does something stupid. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, we all know each other's driving habits and weaknesses. And um, so that, that is one thing that like is a constant. So the higher tensions are, the worse the time in the car is because you're just zeroed in on whatever that person's driving flaw is. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. What's and it's yours? Not, it's not even like, <sighs> well, it's not even like you're in an <laughs> RV where you can go back and like lay in a bunk and go to no. sleep and try to avoid it. You are, you right are sitting right behind the person driving you're, or catty corner in the front seat, basically. Yeah, like my big weakness up until like a year ago was... Um, I was just totally unaware of the car like shifting up and using a lot of gas, mm. which bugged Matthew so much. Like it would just, I'd go from, I'd like pass somebody and rev up to like 3000 RPM and just like stay there for 10 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely destroying our <laughs> gas mileage. And, and he tried so many times to be very patient with me and be like, I don't know if you know this, but when you do that. When you do, do this, I feel <laughs> like you're using a lot of gas. You're just like holding up a $20 bill and setting it on fire. That's what you're doing. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, he's and you can't escape that. Like you're right there behind me, feeling the car accelerate, and and you're watching. You know, uh, like M- Moses is pretty bad at realizing when we're low on gas. Like we ran out of gas once while Moses <laughs> oh, was driving. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that stuff, and there's also just like, I mean, people have your people's bodies smell like mm-hmm. you know you, and different people have different smells and uh have different methods of we have like a a term called uh we like refer to it as uh sorry uh, <laughs> we call it uh free flow <laughs> <Can't even say. laughs> because i can't i can't say it without thinking about it. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm being a terrible podcast guest <laughs> Uh, we call it free floating around where like you just leave <laughs> like t-shirts and underwear and phone chargers just like <laughs> loosely uh, in the vehicle. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really can't. I can't talk about this. I'll laugh too hard. John Lewis just gets so enraged by it. He'll like reach down underneath his seat and pull up a t-shirt and be like, who's this? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is not funny to Well, I mean, how long does it take before it's like, okay, we know this gets on John Lewis's nerves, and now I'm going to leave my drawers up under his seat <laughs> yeah, just, I so, mean, just to piss him off? So, yeah, like, we all have things that we have gotten so much better about. Uh-huh. And I think if you're looking to, like, live with somebody, um, like, pick a roommate, a person who's in a band is probably going to be a better roommate because they've had to learn how to be conscious of other people in a very tight space too. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, some of us are just so sad in our ways. Like Moses will never stop free flowing around in the van. Like he's uh-huh. always going to leave his shirts scattered around and we're always going to yell at him about it. But at a certain point it's just funny cause it doesn't really matter. Right. Like, that's the other thing that we've learned in like three or four years of DIY touring is you cannot let that stuff get to you. Um, because the day is so weird and stressful that like, you know, if you're going to lose your mind about, you know, something like that, uh, you, you're just kind of, uh, ruining everybody else's day. Like you have to stick together and let that stuff roll off your back for sure. And that's got, I mean, that stuff like rolls over into like charisma on stage and how you guys like the chemistry between you guys. Like if I've been Mm. pissed at you all day, like, this podcast is not going to go well if I've got beef with Peyton, you know, or that sort of thing. So I can imagine like getting on stage after, you know, revving the engine up to 3000 RPMs all, all day. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you can't like, um, sometimes you're mean to each other and you don't have time to resolve it before the set and you have to just kind of live in it up there and it's the, the worst feeling ever. So yeah, it's all about keeping it, keeping it light. So how how do you then, like, create good chemistry between all of you on the road? What is is there a practice like other just other than just being like cognizant of yourself and other people? Is there mm-hmm. a way that like we know we if we all eat Whataburger right before the show, <laughs> like we're all good? Yeah. Well, or, I'm almost thinking of even you know before you write, before you oh yeah, know, yeah just fair. practice whatever it may be. How do you just ensure that you're all on the same page right. at a hundred percent. Dude, we have been getting so into uh Moses will lead us in yoga. 
before we record <laughs> and before so we practice and before we write. Um, Moses <laughs> has this really interesting way of doing yoga where he takes <laughs> off all his clothes and scatters <laughs> it, to, it around the room. Yeah. <laughs> he free float. It's called free floating. Yoga. <laughs> yeah. Get on board. He makes these crazy noises when he does yoga. He'll like stretch and, and he'll be like, Aah! and it's like really entertaining. He's we playing all tennis over there. Yeah. Like, that's and not... so we just laugh the whole time we're doing it. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, and on the road, like this most recent tour we were on, uh, we found like a song that we all really liked. Mm-hmm. This song, uh, Dennehy by the rapper Serengeti, which okay. highly recommend okay. him and that song. And it's just like this really fun uh, song about like everything he likes about Chicago. And it's just like so lighthearted and we all know all the words to it. And so when we're like rolling into a town, we're about to load in Well, we'd put that on. Uh-huh. And then we would like, if we had control over it, we'd play it right before we got on stage. Um, it's like kind of a re that song became kind of a reset button on our last tour. That's super cool. So it's like ritualistic things like that. You figure out what makes you all feel good that you all have in common. Um, and then I think it's more things that you know not to do. Uh-huh. Like don't not get sleep. Like everybody gets sleep. When we go on writing retreats together, it's kind of how we, the only way we can really write music as a band. And on those retreats, it's like, we're going to bed at like 11 o'clock. We're going to wake up at eight in the morning and have breakfast together. Like you gotta, yeah, you gotta figure out what to avoid just as much as what you need to do. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm curious about that writing process overall mm-hmm. um is it and i don't know how everybody does it or different bands do it but is it more of a one person with a single idea and it kind of is built upon by everybody else or is it like we're all creating at the same time it like i'll just go off of our most recent experience we went to colorado for like five days um and we went into that really with like no idea what anybody else had been working on and we um, came into that. The other guys had a day without me there because I was going to be late. And so they kind of sketched out some musical ideas. And then, so they had like three different musical ideas that they were working on. And when you say musical ideas, what do you mean? Sorry, yeah. Um, I think it, it mostly started from like Moses had a guitar loop saved on his computer or John Lewis had like a voice memo of a guitar part that he was interested in. Um, and like one of them was literally just like a drum beat that Corey had recorded that he was really into. And so they're combining these elements and seeing how they can marry them together. And then they create these little musical sketches of like, you know, um, Moses playing this part, John Lewis playing this part, Matthew kind of improvising on bass and Corey trying out different grooves on drums. And they recorded those voice memos and sent them to me as I was driving to Colorado. So I'm in the car, like listening to them, like this part kind of sounds like a verse to this part's chorus, you know? Mm. And so when I got there day two, they all woke up and I was like, here's my thing. Like, here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and that was a really fun way to write because, um, I think 
the more you can delegate amongst each other and um, let people really do what they're good at, the better end result you're going to have. Like I've learned to, at the beginning, it was kind of like on Magnolia, um, a lot of the songs are like, um, I pretty much wrote an idea for the whole song brought it into the rest of the guys and then they just told me what they liked and didn't like about it and we changed what they didn't like mm. um but this new way of doing things was a lot more fun for all of us i think because it was less critical you know like it was less my creativity is coming from a critical place and more uh just five guys in a room putting puzzle pieces together yeah and it- I think that puzzle pieces is a good analogy because you take the different elements and you're like, how can we append this to the right Right. songs? And everybody, the people who create that, they're really into what they've created. They're proud of it. They're presenting it. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of a yes. And from there. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, like the improv thing is that what you're talking? Yeah. So like you have to, one thing we've realized working together is even if you're not that into an idea at the beginning, you have to just, agree with it and see where it goes because um it's virtually impossible for five opinionated people with different tastes to agree on like we are all 100 percent into this idea right now yeah if we worked from there we would never write a song yeah ever um but it's more of a like whoever's more passionate in the room kind of has the responsibility of uh, leading everybody down a road and that's the hard part is because if you're not good at leading somebody down your ideas uh, path then it's going to be really hard to to win people over um, but we've all kind of had to learn to get better at both sides of that of leading and following yeah because it's really unhealthy if it's five leaders in a room that could be really difficult if you have five natural leaders in the room. It's like the too many cooks scenario. Yeah. And then, um, but also, you know, if everybody's a follower, that's also like a not good spot to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always interested when people talk about songwriting in particular. Um, and I think this comes up in my mind most often when I think about people writing concept albums Mm -hmm. where it's like you follow some sort of arc over the entirety of the album um, if someone in the room is just like, yeah, I, you know, I, I love that you love Chicago, but I <laughs> yeah. don't want to, like, I don't right. want to play a song about all the stuff I love about Chicago, you know, or like, especially when what most people perceive from music is like lyrics, when the spirit of the people in the room are like, sorry, James, we don't want to sing about this person that you really have a crush on. Like, yeah, you know, or no, something like that. That's real. That's for sure real. Like Magnolia is mostly a personal album about my life specifically. Mm-hmm. And I came to everybody with that idea um, like in 2016, I think, like sort of, or like early 2017. And no one was into it. They were like, um, okay. Like you want to sing about these things in your life and in your family and stuff. Uh, but no one was very immediately drawn to it. So I had to kind of go and write those songs on my own and, and kind of like prove the ideas worth to everybody. And I think that was 
better that way. But yeah, it's, it's hard because, um, it requires a lot of trust on your other band members behalf to like trust that other people are going to connect with your idea and your life and, uh, the personal things that you want to write about. Yeah. I think that's funny too, because you, I think there's bands that are like, man, that song really connected with me. And like, you might have like a fandom of people who are like that one song really connects with me because of what you specifically wrote when the guys on stage are like, yeah, three of us don't feel that way. You know, yeah. it's just like, right. Yeah. That sort of thing I think is kind of like a funny sort of equation to work out. Not that I have any experience trying to work that equation out, but I think it's really interesting when artists talk about that sort of well, interaction. And if you had that kind of response, like from your music in the, in the sense that people latch onto songs that you're like, mm, not all of us were super into this at the time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, um, I think Matthew has experienced that more than all of us because uh, he has a song called pretend that he kind of wrote as a joke. And, um, and I don't mean to like try and discredit any of its value, but he, he didn't like even really want it to be around. And we all kind of encouraged him to, to make it a brother Moses song back in the day when that happened. And I see him like try to grapple with people singing the words to that song and like really getting into it because to him it's such it was like a dissociative moment in his life where he just kind of like does not relate to that version of himself anymore uh-huh. and but he has to get it's almost like he has to get into character to sing that song um and if you've seen him perform it like he is a character he performs he it that. as a joke because he yeah. climbs over everything yeah he just destroys the space around him <laughs> and terrifies everybody and it's a it's a an amazing thing i think um but yeah he literally has to get in a different headspace to perform it but people really like it so uh-huh. he just has to make that sacrifice yeah. you know yeah yeah, I think there's a funny thing when it comes to like live performance stuff too, because um, there's like this performative element that isn't necessarily, oh, this is a skill that I've developed in playing this music or whatever. Like, I have to bring an emotion of myself to this song, even if I don't feel this emotion. Uh, in a lot of ways, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's hardcore bands that play the same songs over and over and over again, and they have to continuously bring this like punk sort of like high intensity yeah. to every song. And at some point it just becomes performative. Like this is a character I put on. Well, oh, yeah. I'm curious about that specifically on a couple songs on Magnolia. Sure. Yeah. Like ache in particular. Yeah. That's such a like raw song. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get into that? And does that get exhausting? Um, actually real fast. You want to give a little background on that for, yeah. The well, listener? the, yeah, the songs written kind of, um, about a very intense thing in my family's history where my dad had a stroke out of nowhere. And then, um, I was like a year old and my, I was the only kid my parents had at that point. And, you know, my mom just comes home and has to take my dad to the hospital cause he's like not breathing. And, uh, he ended up, it was like a very touch and go situation for like a very, like many months. 
and um i like have been told about it my whole life and never really i mean obviously i was one like i wasn't there for it yeah but that was kind of a like the break between act one and act two of my family's life like things were one way before that and things are a different way after that like um and just to like he's fine now like he's he's all good um but yeah i was trying to i don't know excise some of the feelings i had about that event by trying to get in the headspace that my mom might have been in during that whole experience and it just brought out this weird anger in me and um writing it and i it i don't know it kind of became a metaphor for me and my dad's relationship which has always been kind of strained and we've had a hard time getting along my whole life but now we've like been doing a lot better so i was you know i wrote this really angry ending to the song where i'm i'm just like kind of screaming a couple things over and over again and when we wrote it uh I just improvised that like it just kind of came out in the room and that was the moment where everybody was like okay yeah this is a good song uh-huh. <laughs> and so I felt like I really had to nail that every time and when we were recording it I had to g- get back in that moment and every time that we perform and I have to find a way into that that anger and like sometimes I can't hit it. Like I can't physically hit those notes if I'm not angry enough. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause they're kind of out of my range. Like I can't really even sing them. I have to scream them at a certain volume and that volume requires me to be like really mad Uh (laughs) Uh, or feeling a lot of things, you know? And but there was this one show that was kind of a turning point and it was when we played a, we did like a release weekend in Fayetteville where we played three different shows. And the last one was at Puritan and we were playing the whole album front to back. <laughs> and I was like, was playing that song and the whole set, there were these like four people, um, back off in one corner we were playing in the round so there were some people like off to my back right that i couldn't see who just wouldn't shut up the whole show and normally that kind of stuff doesn't really piss me off too bad but i was infuriated by it because they were everyone else there was being so great and Uh so attentive and they were having a great time and these people wouldn't shut up and so like (laughs) I don't, I like right before that part in the song, I went back to the corner of the stage and like yelled at them, (laughs) which I'd never done before and I've never done again, but I like yelled at them to shut up. And then we got to the ending of that song and I was so mad at them. And I think that's the best performance I've ever (laughs) given of that song because I was just so pissed off and like, um, even like retelling the story, I'm like feeling adrenaline, like uh-huh. thinking about how mad I was. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I was like, Oh, like I just have to find something to be really upset about. And so I've, you know, I've tried to find things that shows like what's really making me upset right now. And that has ranged from, 
people at the show who are being disrespectful or I think about people in the world who are disrespectful Uh because I can't really go back to the, the actual thing anymore. Like it's so personal and I have a lot of love for my parents and I can't really feel that anger towards them, you know? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I already got rid of that anger by writing the song. Mm-hmm. So now I have to like find <laughs> external things. You got to find other yeah. timber to burn in that. Exactly. Fire. Yeah. Man, that's so, I mean, <clears throat> how far into the album is that song? Like if you're playing the album front to back, like at the end, it's okay, so you're track not nine like, of 11. Okay. Yeah. So you're not like burning the rest of the set by being like, now I have to get in the headspace where I look and find like bad design in the world that makes me really angry or no, like yeah. think about what, <laughs> uh, like Matthew did in the vehicle or whatever. Sure, yeah, right? like I don't have to. Whenever we play that song, I like uh, I write the set lists for our shows, okay. and I, I mean, for more reasons than just that, but it's never like more than two or three songs from the end, just because I don't want to like have to get in that headspace too early you're also building to that intensity too like you're sure at no other point do you are you screaming like that i imagine in like the rest of the set well there's a couple other times (laughs) i i maybe screamed a little bit too much on that album Uh and now i'm paying for it on in our live shows i've had a couple of people like professional people that i look up to tell me that like i need to kind of chill because i'm gonna ruin (laughs) my voice but um but yeah, that's the only time where I feel like I really have to be emotionally in a very specific place sure. to do that. Because um, other times where I scream, I didn't. I didn't write the part as hard. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just a very weird thing with that song in particular. Yeah, gotcha. I feel like we got off track there in terms of like, <laughs> unfold, un, well, just unfolding the story. Um, we made it up through the first and second year of touring ish and then into magnolia and then into magnolia sure, yeah so i'm curious what's what's on the horizon what's in the future um i don't know really like we're we're in this really cool spot right now where uh we kind of are totally independent from any obligation to deliver a record to anybody um and so we just went to Memphis and recorded with our friend Calvin Lauber, who's an insanely good engineer and producer and recorded a few songs with him and we liked them a lot, but we don't really have an idea of what they're going to be. Um, like we're, we're plotting stuff and kind of strategizing like what we could do next. But I think right now we're, we're like going to finish mixing those songs and then maybe see what they inspire us to do next. Um, but we're just trying on a lot of different hats musically so that we can find what's most inspiring next to move forward. And was moving to New York, is that like an intentional musical move or is that just you all wanted to move to New York? A little bit of both. I think like, um, we, I think a big part of why we're doing it is because we like to do things that seem impossible and try and make them work. It's a really energizing thing for us to throw ourselves in headfirst to things. And 
we find that good stuff tends to come out of that. So that's part of it. Um, but also, yeah, we've just, it's something we've talked about for years about trying to move up there as a band. And so now that we kind of have an opportunity to do that, um, the timing was right and we're just going to give it a shot. So that's really all there is to it. It's not anything. We're not like trying to, um, get the sound of the city. Or the, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah. Out in the world with boom mics, just capturing <laughs> yeah. pigeons and whatnot. Yeah. And are you sad to go? I mean, you have, I guess, a wealth of memories kind of in this area. Maybe not you in particular. And also, also not, um, in this area in particular because you've toured around, but I don't know, this has been home for y'all. So, yeah, I don't think it'll stop being home. Um, it's weird. Like it would be really cool if New York started to feel like home or if anywhere else, um, started to feel like home. That's a cool feeling when that shifts, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think anyone, I don't think we'll ever, this band and this music will never have roots that are stronger than the ones that are here. Um, it's just bizarre, like how many people come to shows here and stuff. And, um, it's not really like our objective. The only really like concrete goals that we had when we started in Fayetteville were we would love to sell out the front room at George's like have like a more than 250 people come or whatever. And we thought that would be way off in the future. Yeah. And so like, we didn't even ever think we would play the back room. Like we just felt like we were too specific and rowdy and weird. And, uh, like we'd seen other local bands get to that point, but we just didn't think we were gonna be able to do something like that. And so when that happened kind of early on, it was like, uh, kind of weird and honestly in a way made us a little lazy about it like when we realized we could play a show for that many people here and so there was kind of a scary moment where we realized we were kind of just like booking a show every six months and and promoting it really hard and playing to a bunch of people and not really fully appreciating like the magic of that mm. so i think that was another reason behind the move is like we need to start like pushing ourselves again. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm so sad. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm for one, my family is all in Arkansas and it's going to suck being so far away from them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a truly special thing that we have around here that I don't think will happen again anywhere else. Like even if, um, you become like the New York band. There's like, you know, what it like 8 million people that live there, 18 mm-hmm. million, however many, it's not like you're going to go to the Chipotle and meet somebody who, <laughs> who likes your music. And yeah. So yeah, that's, it's a really unique thing here that we'll miss a lot. Yeah. But I think we also hope, and I'm sure you guys hope that like you find your space in New York in that area where you like can it grow and like move and do some cool stuff and have access to um resources that we don't have here or whatever it is Just more like, venues more venues Honestly, more, yeah more people like if it, i was i read um 
this book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is about um, indie rock in New York, like early 2000s, like Strokes and Yeah, 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 and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, but that doesn't exist in New York anymore. There's mm-hmm. not like, I mean, there's all kinds of random little scenes that are all supporting each other. And um, there's a lot of really cool music happening. But uh, one thing that I'm really excited about is to try to go to New York and be it like one of those bands, the way that they kind of were like one thing we noticed in Fayetteville is like, we were able to get people to have so much fun at our shows and the shows just turned into parties, you know? And, um, yeah, we want to do that there, like go into this big city where everybody's kind of like, uh, I don't know how to describe it really, but music in New York right now is, um, there's not really like a moment happening. Mm. And so we would love to go up there and be a part of a new moment and maybe try and create one for ourselves. So that's, that's like a very lofty goal, but, um, something that's in the back of our heads, I think six months. I mean, (laughs) there was George's and now there's this, I mean, yeah, very similar, (laughs) very, very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Well, and you said pretty much exactly what sets you apart in your live shows is that it becomes a party. Like everybody's in it and there for the music, which is so interesting that that's rare, I guess, um, in, I guess kind of the range of kind of medium popular artists, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's, it's kind of sad that, you know, you go to a show as like kind of a social event, um, which is fine, but I don't know. It, it, it kind of demotes the music a little bit. Well, like I, uh, I saw you at the Rostam show in KC and that, that kind of, um, intentionality that he had with putting that show on, like that's kind of something that we inspired to be, or we aspire to be. Sorry, we inspire. <laughs> we inspire to be that. Um, we, <laughs> um, yeah, one hundred percent. Like we want the live show to be uh, an immersive experience, and and anytime we've had full control over a space, like we had at Puritan, or what we now kind of have at George's when we come in and play a show there, we just go all out and spend way too much money and just try to make it the craziest, most immersive, uh, experience possible. And yeah, so that's like, it is missing and it's super depressing. Mm -hmm. I've been to a bunch of other shows at that venue that we saw Rostam at and what set him apart from those was that it was like people were there experiencing music and not just, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, like Snapchatting and Instagram story filming happening at that show, even though it looked amazing and it was so beautiful. Um, there were a lot more people there who were just feeling it and being there in that moment, which is really cool. That's kind of what we are, are going for. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's so, uh, oh, it's so cool when we run around and see bands here a lot of times, like it's like people show up to listen to music, but it's also like I'm an outside observer of mm-hmm. the music and it's an object to view. Like it's right. Like it's art, like fine art, like it's at a museum and I'm observing yeah. it, but there's not like a lot of embodiment mm-hmm. in it. Like there's not 
an involvement, like we're in, we're doing a thing and creating a thing together. Yeah. Um, which I think when music is done well, it's like, uh, I mean, it's, it's yoga. It is embodiment <laughs> of the thing. Right. And it's like, like you're not here sitting and talking like we are in this together. So I'm going to yell at you and we're getting like yeah. emotion in the room. Like right. there's a movement of embodiment. Like we are here together doing something. You're like, Music has become like a strange, which I don't like, even though I studied fine arts. I don't like it in the arts either, uh, like visual arts, like an observer sort of distance yeah, from that. the art. It's really strange. Because then what's the difference between describing drinks with your friend and music in the background just playing through the speakers and there actually being exactly. a live performance in front of you? It's, it's really strangely stilted. It's Yeah, I saw like a weird Twitter thread recently that really depressed me. But then it kind of excited me at the same time. It was like the original tweet was like, no matter how much I'm enjoying a show, like I, I kind of just want it to be over. Mm -hmm. Like, and I've felt that for sure. But the really good shows, you don't feel that at all. You're mm -hmm. like there and you've lost all track of time and you're not watching. Like if you're at a show and you're just being forced to watch, like that sucks. It's like you just stay home and listen to the record, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you don't really, I think if you've been given the opportunity to be in the room with a bunch of people and share your music with them, it should be about so much more than just, um, like it's not a recital, you know? Yeah. It's not yes. like a piano recital. Yeah. There's a, yeah. And breaking down that wall is really hard because, uh, people, both us as uh, performers and people in the crowd as audience members have been conditioned to make it like that and be like, oh, well, this is what I do. I stand here and watch you and mm -hmm. then later uh, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, breaking down that wall is is something that I'm really into, that we're constantly working on and which is the responsibility of both the artist and the viewer. Like mm -hmm. the musician has to like probably make the first move to step out into the crowd, but then the, the crowd also has to make a movement in stepping towards the artist and saying like, I'm meeting you in this middle space where we're together. And uh, cause I can stand back at the back of the room and watch you step into the crowd and not participate also. Like, mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it can feel like it's like, the responsibility of the artist to make this a moment. Yeah. And, but also if like the viewer, I think I have a, I have a, I don't do this well, um, but showing up to a show and like participating in the show, like I'm just trying to picture Matthew going into the crowd for pretend and right. really nobody getting into it. And that, or just like standing around talking to their friends and it happens just being the most hundreds of times. Yeah. Yeah. Just being uncomfortable and it's nobody wins. Who wins out of that? Yeah, he, like, you know, has gotten super frustrated in the past. I mean, like, anytime you're... I think what the number one thing you can do as a performer is prove to the audience that you're, like, really risking something, mm. that you're not just in this privileged position in front of a microphone or, like, behind a drum kit or whatever. Like, you don't, you don't want people to sit there and look at you and be like... Oh, oh wow. They're, they're cool. Like you want to be out there and be like, this could go wrong at any second. <laughs> and that's a, 
that's an amazing feeling like and when you can make that happen musically and mm. um when you can just create that energy in the room the physical stunts are like really fun and they're kind of like an immediate access to that like matthew going out and climbing on top of a speaker system that's about to topple over yeah yeah that instantly creates that vibe in a room and so it's kind of like a a go-to when things are weird and we want them to be the right kind of weird um but there have been times where like we played a house show in new jersey and like immediately in the first song it was something about the way we were kind of looking at each other and playing and the way we were looking at people who were in the room with us. It was like a living room acoustic set. Yeah. And the energy of the room just suddenly became so vulnerable. Like, um, anyone could say anything and it wouldn't have seemed weird. Um, and, but it was just like palpable that uh, the realness and rawness of the moment and with Magnolia and the songs on Magnolia, that's what, uh, the live show has turned into for those songs is like trying to tap into that energy and that environment. And when it hits, it's, you know, transcendent and uh-huh. we don't know what to do with ourselves when it doesn't, it's still super fun because we were risking something in that moment, you know? So yeah, that's as a, I feel like as a member of the audience, the, the biggest thing you can do is um, pay attention (laughs) because I think like the less people are paying attention, the less they're going to pick up on things like that. Um, Like if everybody's looking at their phones or talking to each other, they're going to miss what's uh, what's there. Like the yoga thing you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Like um, I think that's like what's frustrating for people. It's not that, looking at people filming you is weird. That isn't weird. It's just like when you know a cool moment should be happening and you know the only reason it's not happening is because people just aren't paying attention. It's less frustrating that you're not getting attention. It's more frustrating that like you know they're missing out on something cool. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's my, that's like my advice. (laughs) If you go to a show and you want it to be cool, just pay attention and see what happens because music is magic. It's like real magic on earth. And, um, I think it's so dumb to go and just like text for 50% of a show or like be at the bar for 50% of a show. Cause yeah, like you were saying, you should just be at home listening to the record, but didn't mean to go like on a, that's so I'm a good. Tear telling people to shut up or anything. Like, no, if you so wouldn't have, good. I would have. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> where can people find your music? In everywhere. It's people know where to find music. <laughs> that's it. I always think that's pretty. Funny. Yeah, I know. Like, um, I yeah, it's everywhere. No, it's a yeah. You can just you, Google it. You will trip over it uh, at some point. <laughs> like, the, yeah. So. It's funny. I was at like a wedding recently with my girlfriend and one of her friends, boyfriends was like being super weird about me being in a band and asking all of the wrong questions. And he was like, yeah, I just Google, like I Googled you guys 
And I was like, do people do that when they're looking up bands? They they just like Google them? Because for me, I go to like, you know, Spotify or whatever. Uh-huh. So I can like look and get an idea. But he was like, I Googled you guys and I looked at the Google image results. And I was like... <laughs> I have no idea what that looks like. I need, I did it after that because I was like, I don't know what comes up. What do you Google image, Brother Moses? Yeah, it does come up. Just a completely random stuff from the internet. The Bible. From like it, some of it. Um, but like, you know, random photos from our Instagram or like a screenshot from a YouTube video that we're in or something. So it's so bizarre to... I, I was... <laughs> Yeah, Google image search, Brother Moses. That's how you can find our music. I can tell you what won't come up when you Google search, Google image search, Brother Moses. Music. None of the music, music will come yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Maybe a couple yeah. clicks away. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. Awesome, James. Well, thanks for joining us. We wish you and Brother Moses the best as yeah. you go to New York. Thanks for having me. Big Absolutely. fan of your show. It's a great thing that you do. Thanks. Yeah. It's been so fun. I've enjoyed this so much. It's great. been great. I've enjoyed it. So one thing that stuck out to me about this interview and specifically talking about the collaboration portion of working with four other people with differing opinions and views and artistic visions and all that is just how that working out that dynamic is so important for just any team that you're on or just any relationships that you're in. Yeah, that was that was really interesting to me because I, I work in like a or office environment and I'm like all of this would be helpful you know to me as well yeah for example just saying hey I'm I'm bringing this forward as an idea and others expecting others to either they have to at least appreciate it and build on it at mm-hmm. first before just saying that's a bad idea right. like that is something that can be so easily used in personal relationships or work relationships or making a podcast or whatever it may yeah. be like those kind of lessons are very important just in life. Yeah. I think that that concept of like selling your idea to somebody else for other people to buy into it is like, I think about it a lot in the arts, like, or in the business world where you have to convince other people to buy into your idea of like, this is going to be a good song. I promise now help me start this brewery, you know, sort of, sort of thing, right? Like trying to pitch an idea with heart and also trying to convince people who think it's bad that it's worth doing. Uh, well, and to just, just really let go, let go of your idea and let other people add on to it. And sure. you know, that makes it quote unquote, not yours anymore, but it makes it better. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, after doing that interview that day, I don't know if it came out in the episode or not. I don't remember if we talked about it in there or not, but they were playing the Emma Avenue Block Street party um, that night, which was the day before Matthew left for New York. So I think, as, as you and I have said many times, Peyton, um, they've announced that they've had like a last show. I think this might've been their actual one because they shipped off one of their members, uh, to New York. So who knows? But, um, I had a ton of fun. It was the first number one. It was the first brother Moses concert 
that I've ever been to. Sad. It was sure sad. <laughs> um, it was strange in that it was on a street, so it was different than their other shows. Um, but that energy that he talked about in the episode, like the embodiment of the music and bringing like a full self and a, even in some cases a performative self uh, to that space, which was so great to see. He was talking about ache in the episode, you know, and uh, how he has to find reasons to get mad. And uh, while they were playing, there, there were these two guys who kept screaming, play free bird, play free bird. And so when James got on the microphone to say, um, here, this is a song called ache. I was inches from yelling, play free bird just to piss him off. <laughs> so he would get mad at the end of that song. And, uh, I could kind of like contribute to what was going on mm. there. Like I was participating by really pissing him off. Yeah. You were, you were yoga ing, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't yell at him he was like i found i talked to him after the show and he's like i found plenty to be upset about <laughs> um with those people um they handle hecklers really well <laughs> i appreciated their ability to handle hecklers it was spot on it was so good um so did you get into it did you respond to his invitation their invitation as artists yeah i think i think i felt obligated to in part uh because we had just talked about it. <laughs> we had just talked about it on a podcast. And then he saw that I was there. And so I couldn't stand on the sidelines. Um, but I really enjoy bands that have a groove and that kind of do that. Like, come on, we're dancing now sort of thing. Cause some bands do that well and some bands don't do that well. Um, but when a band like grooves and has music that, is way danceable too. I really love to dance at a concert. Um, so I got into it. It was the setting, the context of it, of being like this weird outdoor space where people showed up for the party, but not specifically for them. So not everybody knew them. So it was like this weird arithmetic mm -hmm. to find like how socially awkward is this about to be? Because everybody standing on the other side of that street can see me clear as day dancing mm -hmm. right here. And they're like not like engaged and I am super engaged and the people around me are super engaged, but we're like being observed from a distance. And so there's like this weird arithmetic of like, I am about to sweat a lot and make a fool of myself because I want to dance this music to, in front of these people. But these other 29 people standing around the stage are my people right now. And the, those five guys on stage are my people less party dog mm -hmm. um yeah i got into it i got into it it was fun um well it's funny sweated a lot while you were at the brother moses uh -huh. show in on emma i actually went to kansas city this past weekend mm -hmm. and i uh, i went up because i have a friend whose family always throws a block party every year yeah and uh she and her family and in-laws and all of that they have a band and they're they're called the young and the rest of us um they always emphasize like oh yeah they're part of the young and we're part of the rest of us and like all this business sure but, you um, may be like overselling the joke at that point it's uh -huh. a pretty good joke if it's just like subtly noted anyway no but ahead. they alluded to it the entire time uh, of course anyway so during that 
it was it was interesting because I was put in a musical situation where you know they had been working hard and I just wanted people to enjoy the music and they wanted people to dance as well. Uh-huh. But they're just a cover band in a very suburban, predominantly white neighborhood where people just pull up their lawn chairs and just sure. like sit and watch. And sure. at some point, the dad of the family who's playing lead guitar, he's like, hey, so uh, we have two 80 songs that we're about to play. Um, if you don't come up and dance during these songs, we're going to be really mad. And kind of like facetiously, but you know, also, it would be nice yeah. if people got up and yeah. dance. And so I was proud of myself. I was like the first one to get up and dance and brought my friends up and started a frenzy up there on the dance floor. Sure. And what were the songs? Can I know the songs? Oh yeah. Well, they played, they played a few songs and they actually did them really well for what they were. Uh, so like they played B-52 songs. Okay. And which is funny because like B-52 songs are like just quirky and weird and also require a lot of, um, a lot of people to sing along. Yeah. And the way uh, my friend's family is set up is that uh, there are two daughters and the mom sings as well. And so in the B-52s, they played like Love Shack and Private Idaho. And, you know, their their dad was the main singer. And then there were the three like women that were able to like sing those. Love ye- Shack. Anyway, Some, it was it was better sung by them. Anyway, so they were. It was really well done, and it was a ton of fun. And getting everybody up there and kind of being one of the first kind of risk takers um, and responding to the invitation of like, hey, come up and dance. Like, this is a lot of fun. We put a bunch of blood, sweat, and tears into practicing this for you. We do this once a year. Yeah. You know, and us just getting up and responding to that invitation was so important. And at the end, they're like, this was the best one so far. Like, this is so much fun. And Everybody got really into it. And That's so good. So that matters. Engaging in the music matters. And it, everybody wins when you do. Yeah. Yeah, despite there might being like, uh, all right, you olds who are just sitting, the rest of us who are just sitting in mm-hmm. those uh, fold-out chairs, like, I know you're not about to get up and dance, but that weird sort of like hump you have to get over of, I feel like I look weird when I dance in front of these people who are not dancing uh, is, is funny. Cause it's like, Oh, people are watching me like at a wedding. It's mm-hmm. so bad at a, like a reception at a wedding when you have a group of people dancing and then you have like family of the bride, like hanging out and just sitting back and watching people dance like that. As fun as that is as good and as pure as it is, Sometimes it can be really awkward because you find yourself on the exterior of like a group of people and it's like, oh, her grandfather can see me dancing and that <laughs> upsets me for some reason. Like it, but anyway, it's yeah. funny when I go to weddings, they're like, okay, the doors, I mean, the floor is now open to any, and then I'm already walking up. Sure. That's me. Yes. Yes. I, and I super get that, but, um, it's just funny that both of our experiences are like, I'm on full display in front of people who are not participating mm-hmm. and what that social exchange is. Um, anyway, well, you good. Gotta, you got to risk it for the biscuit. I guess you got to risk it for the biscuit. If Moral you really, story. yeah. If you want to support your pals playing music, then you got to like get up and groove. Um, yeah. Did uh? so they played some good jams to dance to. 
Because that's the other thing. If they didn't play good jams, like easy dance jams, then like Brother Moses played last night by The Strokes. Great song. Great selection for them. Way too fast tempo for me to dance to. (laughs) I was going so hard trying to keep up with the tempo. Um, Maybe could have slowed it down to halftime for myself. You can halftime it yourself. Yeah, that's you can you yes. can start your own BPM. That's half of that BPM. Yeah, yeah. and dance to that. I was struggling to keep up, <laughs> um, but yeah, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that the dance, the everybody's grooving, mm-hmm. everybody's moving, everybody's grooving at the love. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is such a bad podcast. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. After this interview, James said, you know, do I really have to say where they can find music? Because, you know, you can just give it a, a swift Google mm-hmm. or uh, go on the iTunes or whatever, or the Spotify, of sure. course. So anyway, Brother Moses, they're awesome. And if you want to support them a little bit more, we've talked a lot about paying with your or voting with your dollar. And so I know they have Magnolia, their latest album on vinyl. Uh, I got a copy of that, and it's a great album. But if that's not your style, maybe go buy a CD, purchase their stuff on iTunes or whatever it may be. Go see them live if you go and visit New York and they're playing. So just a reminder, vote with your dollar and go and support the things that you enjoy. Uh, like us. If you like us, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash NWA. If you like us, very smooth transition there. How was that, Peyton? I like that. Uh, nice segue. Um, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NWA. We're on Instagram at NWA podcast. All these letters just like are now falling together. They're just going to be, eventually we're going to get to a point where it's just like, bah! and then that is how we talk about the podcast because we don't, and I don't enunciate words enough. Um, anyway, and then, oh, if you want to come hang out with us, this weekend we are doing karaoke at Bike Rack on A Street in Bentonville, starting at 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Uh, Saturday the 8th, I believe. Yes. 9th. 9th, 9th, 9th. Whichever Saturday is closest to that those dates, it's mm-hmm. that one, uh, starting at 7 p.m. Uh, it's totally free. It's real great. Uh, and then we're also starting our new game uh, for uh, the Has Brothers Good Time Game Show at Bike Rack as well. Um, and it's going to be based off Candyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peyton hit him with the name. It's Canned Beer Land. One more time. Canned Beer Land. Okay. Um, but when you say it fast, it's Canned Beer Land. Kind of like Candyland. Kind of like Candyland. Uh, we'll, uh, it's the best we've come up with so far. Alternate title, Shandyland. Shandyland. But Bike Rack does not have a Shandy, and so that doesn't work out as well. Not that but, Canned Beer Land works out you know, flawlessly either. Um, we're going to take this offline. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Come hang out with us, play our game. It's a fun game. Uh, And yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We've loved having you. We loved having Brother Moses, James Lockhart on. um, And best of luck to them in New York. Have a heck of a heck of a day with Hey Hey NWA.